certain occasions afford us opportunities to offer love, counsel, and wisdom to others. Whether you're talking to a high school graduate about to leave for college, or a friend about to get married, or a coworker maybe leaving for a new opportunity, these kinds of occasions, they, they, they beg for our advice, right? Um, maybe we've been there before. Uh, maybe we've learned a, a few things that we, can, we think can, can help along the way. We, we often think that our uh, experience qualifies us for, for offering our wisdom. And, and it, in some respects, that's true. But, but what if you, you actually knew the events that were going to unfold? And, and you were in a position to offer related blessings as, as uniquely called by God. What if you had been leading the people you were about to speak to for over 40 years? Well, this is the situation that Moses is in, in, in the passage that we're going to be studying together today. His experience, his call, and his divine inspiration from God the Holy Spirit make him uniquely qualified to offer parting words of blessing to the tribes of Israel. And, and what will he say? Well, we have the privilege of discovering that together as we study Deuteronomy 33. So if you, if you haven't done so already, let me invite you to open your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 33. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage I think on the bottom of page 175. And, and while you're turning there, uh, let's just remember what has just taken place in the book. At the close of chapter 32, Moses was instructed to go up onto a mountain to, to look over and see the promised land that the people of Israel are, are, are about to conquer and possess. And die. Uh, that was part of God's instruction to Moses. Moses has known this. And he has, he's been preparing Israel for this moment throughout the book. In, in Deuteronomy, he has, he's preached a series of sermons reminding Israel of God's love and God's law. God loves you, Moses has essentially said. And... You are to love him too. And, and you show your love by keeping his law. In Deuteronomy 33, these themes of law and love come out yet again. Moses' last words remind Israel of the privilege and blessing of being the people that God so dearly loves. And as such, part of the goal of these final words, this final blessing from Moses is to stir the people of Israel to forge ahead in the conquest. Here's the, the aim of Deuteronomy 33 in a, in a sentence. Go, knowing that God loves you and goes with you. Did you know that that's also the basic message of the benedictions and blessings that we conclude our services with? Uh, so if you opened your bulletin, you'd see that there's a, one last scripture reference next to the word benediction. But we conclude our services uh, with a benediction, a blessing from scripture. And the hope is that we go knowing that God loves us and he goes with us into the week. The, the, the hope is, is that, 
that we will leave, we will go out into the world and see our proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ subdue the hearts of God's enemies so that they might be made his friends, his children, his loved ones. We, we go proclaiming the good news of Jesus that he can and does bring, as one friend has said, ruined rebels under the blessing of God and into God's eternal promised land. In the Bible, a blessing is a pronouncement and prayer of God's favor upon his people. The blessing and benediction of Deuteronomy 33 is comprised of three discrete sections. In verses 1 to 5, God's past power to bless is demonstrated in a brief journey through Israel's history. In verses 6 to 25, the tribes of Israel, Israel's made up of 12 tribes, the, the tribes of Israel are formally blessed. Each tribe receives a blessing. And, and finally, in verses 26 to 29, Israel is reassured that God will bless their path ahead. The first five verses and the last four verses are actually meant to be bookends. Um, if you scan your eyes across there, you'll, you'll note that Jeshurun, and as we learned a couple of weeks ago, that's God's affectionate name for Israel. It's used in both verse 5 and verse 26. And it's in between these, these outer sections that we have the middle, the, the, the blessings themselves. So we'll study these three sections of Deuteronomy 33 under three headings. First, the path of blessing, verses 1 to 5. Second, the pronouncement of blessing, verses 6 to 25. And third, the, the promise of blessing, verses 26 to 29. Let's begin with our first point, the path of blessing. And, and as we do, uh, please follow along as I read Deuteronomy 33, verses 1 to 5. Deuteronomy 33, verses 1 to 5. This is the blessing with which Moses... The man of God blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousand of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. So they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you. When Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob, thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun. When the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Well, in these verses, Moses is presented as both a prophet and a patriarch. In other words, he is in a position of authority to bless God's people. Moses is presented as a prophet there in verse 1 through the, the title, Man of God. Uh, this becomes the mantle of prophets such as Samuel, Shemaiah, Elijah, Elisha, and others. Prophets, they, they speak for God and they speak words given by God. And while this is, is Moses' blessing, this is also God's blessing upon his people through Moses. He is presented as a prophet. Moses is also presented as a patriarch in the sense that just before their deaths, the, the patriarchs Isaac and Jacob in Genesis 27 and 49, they, they blessed their children. 
In fact, the blessings that we find here in Deuteronomy 33 have uh, significant overlap with those deathbed blessings in the book of Genesis. Uh, we'll, We'll glance at those connections along the way. But all this is to say that in this blessing, Moses, he, he's speaking like a loving and devoted father, giving his last words to his children. And, and what is the most important thing that a father can do for his children? Well, the, the, the most important thing a father can do for his children is to teach them about God. And that's exactly what Moses does in verse 2. Moses immediately turns the attention of his children to the Lord, to, to Yahweh. That's what those capital letters, L-O-R-D, uh, stand for. For God's covenant name, Yahweh. Notice what Moses teaches his children. He teaches them that the Lord was, was with them on the path of blessing. You see, verse 2 is something of an abbreviated travelogue where the people of Israel have been and where God has led them. Sinai should have reminded Israel of their rescue from slavery in Egypt. It, it should have reminded Israel of God's gracious and good gift of his law. Seir and Peron on the other hand, may remind us of Israel's wandering through the wilderness, bouncing from this place to that. And though these three localities are are actually fairly close to one another, Moses is clearly endeavoring to communicate movement from one place to the next. And that movement is explicit there in verse 3. Even in those, as we think of them, even in those weary wilderness wanderings, God was pleased to bless his people, to keep and protect them, to to make his face shine upon them, as Aaron would say in his benediction. And did you notice that that language of light here? God dawned. He shone forth. Yes, our God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The path of blessing that Yahweh led in his pillar of fire and cloud was also a path of love. We should slow down a bit, I think, when we come to verse 3 and take in these marvelous words. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. God loved and loves his people. Christian, this is no less true today. All those whom God loves are, are held in his hands. Jesus tells us as much In the Gospel of John, when Jesus proclaims that he is the good shepherd, much like Moses was a shepherd, Jesus says that his sheep are in his hand and in God the Father's hand. Listen to what the Savior says in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. This is Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them Out of my hand. That's Jesus' hands. Now, listen for the Father's hand in the very next verse. Verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. See, brothers and sisters, the words of Deuteronomy 33 are ours in Jesus Christ. He loves us, and we are in his hands. And the first half of Deuteronomy 33 speaks of God's people receiving his affection. But the second half of verse 3 speaks of God's people receiving his direction. They followed the loving Lord. They followed his footsteps. They followed his law, verse 4. Together, this revealed that they really were his subjects and he really was their king. That's what verse 5 is pressing us to understand. 
When Israel gathered at Sinai and entered into a covenant relationship with God by receiving his laws and then following his lead, leaving from Sinai, he was ruling and reigning over them as king. How do we identify subjects of Christ the king today? We identify them through watching them follow after Jesus and keeping his commands. By entering into covenant with him through repentance and faith, becoming members of the new covenant. We identify subjects and servants of Christ the king through their joyful welcome of his rule and reign in their lives. Those who follow the loving lead of the Lord Jesus Christ know that his commandments are not burdensome. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Those who follow the loving Lord know that obedience to his command is the path of blessing. We follow Jesus knowing that just like Yahweh came for Israel from Sinai, Jesus came for us from glory. Everything about this path of blessing in Deuteronomy 33, verses 1 to 5, communicates that God was with and for Israel. Jesus walked this earth with and for us. You see, the, the, the path of blessing is the path of blessing precisely because God is with and for his people. Because he loves his people. Well, let's turn now and consider our, our second point. The pronouncement of blessing. Which we find in Deuteronomy 33 verses 6 to 25. Here we hear Moses bless God's children in varying ways. As we begin, just take a moment and, and scan your eyes across these verses. See how you can see tribes called out in various sections. The, these verses do contain blessings for various tribes. And, and here we find blessings related to lineage and labor and land, strength and size and more. And what is apparent from this blessing is, is that the order of blessing is different from that which we find earlier in the Pentateuch, in Genesis chapter 49. In Genesis 49, it seems as though uh, the order is governed by birth. See, Jacob was blessing his children, but he began with the first, who was born first, and then he went to the one who's second, and, and, and so on. But here, th this order is different. The, the order is, is jumbled, and in a rough way, uh, Moses may be working his way from the, the south... To, to the north. It's hard to say definitively, but that, that appears to be the case. And, and each blessing, or almost each blessing, is introduced by a similar phrase. And, and of blank tribe, he said, and, and then we get the blessing. Uh, you, you probably also noticed that Levi and Joseph received the, the lengthiest blessing, whereas others, other tribes only received a line or two. In fact, uh, one I misspoke earlier. One tribe doesn't even receive a blessing. I said that all 12 tribes are blessed. Actually, one tribe doesn't, isn't actually blessed. The tribe of Simeon is actually missing from this blessing. It may be that since Simeon's allotment was virtually within Judah's territory, uh, that there was little need for mentioning the tribe itself. But perhaps even more likely is that Simeon is passed over given how he brought shame upon his father Jacob in Genesis 34. Simeon killed the Shechemites in anger when they were defenseless. Uh, in, in fact, Jacob's blessing on Simeon in Genesis 49, um, he prayed that the Lord would scatter Simeon among the tribes of Israel. And so with this lack of pronouncement of blessing upon Simeon, it seems likely that the scattering of the, Sim, uh, the tribe of Simeon has already begun. But let's actually begin to, to read the blessing. So, so pick up and follow along as I read verse 6, just verse 6 for now. Let Reuben live and not die. 
but let his men be few. Uh, puzzled by Reuben's blessing? I mean, it doesn't receive the same introduction as other blessings. Every other blessing begins with, and, and this he said of, um, and then comes the blessing. But Reuben receives no introduction. And that poor tribe uh, simply gets a plea for life. Uh, preserve Reuben from extinction, Lord. It's not much of a blessing, is it? Only, it's actually a pretty big blessing when we consider Reuben's history. Uh, while a bright spot in Reuben's history was preventing Joseph from being left in a pit, um, he was nevertheless guilty of sexual immorality with his father's concubine. And so he receives a blessing kind of like Simeon received a blessing from Jacob in Genesis 49. So, so this is what Jacob said to Reuben in Genesis chapter 49, verse 4. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Which was a big deal because he's a firstborn. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed and then you defiled it. According to, to Jacob's blessing in Genesis 49, Reuben was never to receive preeminence even though he was the firstborn son. If, if Jacob, if Yahweh were to follow the traditional practice of the surrounding culture in the ancient Near Eastern world, then Reuben would have received the most prestigious blessing. But God has long operated according to a practice that's different than the surrounding culture. Due to his sin, Reuben was as worthy as Simeon as being scattered and lost to the annals of history. But in verse 6, Moses mercifully prays for Reuben's preservation. True, uh, Reuben has little to no hope of being the most blessed tribe in Israel. But Reuben is, in the kindness and mercy of God, permitted to enter, to settle, and to enjoy the promised land. How many of us feel entitled to a grand residence in the promised land of heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. How many of us feel entitled to a grand residence there? Should we? I mean, how many of us have a checkered past like Reuben? How many of us, on our own merits, are really worthy of being welcomed into the promised land of heaven? Well, not a single one of us. Do you think that the tribe of Reuben was grateful to receive this blessing? He was undeserving, but graciously allowed to enter. You see, Reuben really was blessed. And so are you if you rest and trust in Christ's righteousness. Reuben was welcomed into the promised land of Canaan, not because of righteous things that he had done, but because of God's mercy and grace. And the same is true for every believer in Jesus Christ. We will not be welcomed into the promised land of heaven because of our great works, because we're really good people, but because of Jesus' great work for us and for our salvation. Following behind Reuben, Judah is blessed there in verse 7. You see verse 7? And this he said of Judah, here, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him into his people. With your hands contend for him and be a help against his adversaries. Moses prays for two blessings over Judah, hearing and helping. 
Moses prays that Yahweh would hear the voice. And by that, he, he likely means the, the prayers and the cries of Judah. Moses prays that the Lord would, would run to his aid, run to Judah's aid, be his help. And most likely in, in view is the setting and situation of a battle. And then the nub of the idea in this prayer for Judah is that he would go out against his enemies and be brought back safely to his people. And this would have been an encouraging blessing for Judah and really the other tribes as well. Uh, given that they were all preparing to uh, enter a prolonged period of war and conquering the promised land of Canaan. Still, there, there may be more to this prayer too, especially since it was promised back in Genesis 49, again back to, to Jacob's blessing, that the Messianic ruler would come from Judah. See, kings are to come from Judah's line. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. It is to, to our eternal joy and salvation that Jesus went out against our enemies of sin and Satan and death. And that his voice was heard. And that he was helped and raised from the grave. Well, just consider what we hear in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Yes, our Savior was heard and helped as he was raised from the dead. And at the end of the ages, he will come again to his people. And we look forward to that day with eager expectation. Verses 8 to 12, you'll notice, they contain one of the longest blessings. And here God's favor is aimed squarely at Levi. Read verses 8 to 12. And of Levi, he said, give to Levi your Thuman and your Urim to your godly one, whom you tested at Massa, with whom you quarreled at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob... That's a broader name for Israel here. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance and accept the work of his hands. Crush the loins of his adversaries, of those who hate him, that they not rise again. See, this tribe in Israel would play an incredibly important role in their history. The focus of these blessings in these verses, are, are related to the tribe's duties as priests in Israel. With the request to give Levi your Thummim and your Urim, we're hearing Moses ask Yahweh to give the Levites wisdom as they lead the people of Israel. It's significant that in verse 11, Moses prays that God would bless, be pleased with the labor, the substance, the words there, is the word there, and, and accept the, the work of the Levites. The, the labor that the Levites were to give themselves to is listed there in verse 10. They're to teach God's people the law and minister before God's altar. God's people needed to know God's law if they were to keep it and live by it and to keep their covenant with Yahweh. And Israel needed God to accept their sacrifices for their sins if they were to live in his holy presence. Both are necessary for a relationship with Yahweh. This was so important that Moses even prayed for the defeat of the Levites' adversaries. You see that in verse 12. No one else could offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins on behalf of the people, but the priests. Every tribe 
needed the labors of the Levites, and the Levites needed every tribe to protect them. But in the blessing of Benjamin, found there in verse 12, we're reminded who's really doing the protecting. It's God. Verse 12. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and, between, and dwells between his shoulders. We see here God is the ultimate protector of his people. And in him, Benjamin and every other tribe can rest and find refuge. Think just for a moment about what this blessing would have meant for Benjamin and Israel as a whole. Benjamin was a, a centrally located tribe. It would eventually house the home of the nation's capital, Jerusalem, and the central place of worship, the temple. This pronouncement of safety is in the heart of where God's people live. This blessing of God dwelling with his beloved is still true for us today. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, we're reminded that God will never leave us or forsake us. And what did Jesus tell his disciples as he departed and ascended into heaven in Matthew's gospel? Well, listen to Jesus' last words in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christians are, are safe in Christ because he dwells with us by his spirit. Now, that does not mean we will not face difficulty in this life. We most certainly will. But we can never be eternally lost because we've been found in Christ. The brief blessing of Benjamin gives way to another lengthy blessing, this time to the tribe of Joseph. Joseph's blessing is pronounced in verses 13 to 15. Read verse 13 there. And of Joseph he said, Blessed by the Lord be his land, with the choicest gifts of heaven above and of the deep that crouches beneath, with the choicest fruits of the sun and the rich yield of the months, with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwells in the bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph, on the pate of him who is prince among his brothers. A firstborn bull he has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples, all of them, to the ends of the earth, they are the 10,000 of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. Now, one of the first things you'll notice about these verses is that Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are, are comprehended in the blessing. In the history of Israel, they, they virtually stand as tribes in and of themselves. This tells us something about the size of Joseph's tribe. It, it was large. It, as one of the largest tribes, it receives one of the largest blessings. And this would serve as a large benefit to the rest of Israel. The two principal blessings of these verses are related to bounty and battle. The tribe of Joseph would be immensely blessed through the choicest gifts of heaven and the finest produce of the land. And the idea of abundant fruitfulness is a bit kind of hidden in our English translations, but it appears no less than five times in the original Hebrew. The, the language of these verses is reminiscent of the, the fruitfulness of the Garden of Eden. But there's more. Joseph will also be blessed in battle. This too would have been an important part of the conquest, important for the conquest, and important beyond the conquest. Every tribe in the nation was needed to take the land and to protect the land. And what I hope you're, you're beginning to, to get, uh, I hope you're beginning to get a picture of here, is that with respect to these blessings, is that these blessings for, for each individual tribe are actually interconnected 
and interwoven and important for the nation as a whole. Uh, Judah, Ephraim, and Manasseh's success in battle would be important for the other tribes, as I said, in the conquest. But the Levites, their success in ministry would be important for the other tribes and, and their relationship to the Lord. This collection of tribes is to be one unified people under God. Every tribe needs every other tribe. And in fact, in the New Testament, a similar principle is announced. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about members of the church being made up of different parts of the body. And, and Paul's point is that every part of the body needs every other part of the body. He says that if one member suffers, all suffer together. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're an insignificant part of the body. Oh, you need to know that God's word says that you're not. No, you are a significant part of the body. You, you're an integral part of the body. And the Holy Spirit has placed you here in this body, and he has a role for you to play. And God's word is clear about your role. You see, 1 Corinthians 12 is immediately followed by 1 Corinthians 13. Your role is that of love. Give yourself to loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Give yourself to loving the members of this body. We need you and the love that the, the Lord intends to minister through you. And you need us and the love that the Lord intends to minister to you through us. In the verses that remain, you see there verses 18 to 25, Moses briefly, almost in kind of rapid succession, addresses the six most northern tribes, Zebulun, Issachar, Gad, Dan, Naphtali, and Asher. Please follow along as I read these verses, verses 18 to 25. And of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar, in your tents. They shall call peoples to their mountain. There they offer right sacrifices, for they draw from the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. And of Gad, he said, Blessed be he who enlarges Gad. Gad crouches like a lion. He tears off arm and scalp. He chose the best of the land for himself. For there a commander's portion was reserved. And he came with the heads of the people. With Israel he executed the justice of the Lord and judgments for Israel. And of Dan he said, Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan. And of Naphtali he said, O Naphtali, sated with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the lake and the south. And of Asher, he said, Most blessed of sons be Asher. Let him be the favorite of his brothers, and let him dip his foot in oil. Your bars shall be iron and bronze, and as your days, so shall your strength be. Zebulun and Issachar are, are brought together by a common Hebrew idiom, a Hebrew refrain. You're, you're going out and you're coming in. in. In other words, these two tribes will be blessed where, wherever they are, and wherever they go. And while Joseph's blessing was in the land, Zebulun and Issachar's is in the sea. And what Moses is doing is he's piling all these things up as he's communicating that, that every aspect of life in the land of Canaan will be marked by blessing. In fact, Gad's blessing in verse 20 is aimed at enlargement. And the idea seems to be that uh, to be building that, that God's blessings are, are overflowing upon his people. And flowing out of Gad too is the blessing of righteous living, of justice for his people. 
That's a blessing for the people of God. And it's a blessing for those who come into contact with the people of God. Justice for the nation as a whole was a blessing. See that in verse 21. This idea of expansion, I think it probably continues in the blessing of Dan and Naphtali. Dan receives the shortest blessing of all in verse 22. And still the idea seems to be that Dan will pounce upon his prey and expand his territory. This actually happens in Judges chapter 18, though there were also some troubles with Dan's expansion as well. Naphtali was to take possession of the the rich land in and around the lake or the Sea of Galilee as we often know it. In fact, they were to expand their territory to the the southern portion of that lake. And rounding out the the twelfth blessing of Moses, it falls upon Asher. He is, in the words of verse 24, most blessed of the sons. He's even to be the favorite. I mean, everyone wants to be the favorite, don't they? Um, the, The references to oil and bars of bronze tell us that Asher's blessings are prosperity and protection. And as we, we take in these blessings, it's, it's striking to consider that these are the final words of Moses. These are the final words of Moses in, in a book that is so full of warnings, threatenings, and curses. It's striking to think that this is what we hear after Moses has gone on for chapter after chapter about the sinfulness and the idolatry and the temptation toward rebellion against the covenant. And it's worth considering that Moses does not end his ministry emphasizing the curse. Instead, he, he ends his ministry emphasizing the blessing that is coming to the children of Israel. In, in our conversations with fellow believers or, or even with those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we emphasize? We, we must we must warn of God's coming judgment and curse for all those who rebel against him. There's a certain sense in which we must emphasize that. And we must also remind our friends and family and neighbors and co-workers that following the Lord Jesus Christ is worth it and full of blessing. There is an eternal blessing coming to all who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel received these blessings, but in many ways, these blessings were but a type and shadow of what was to come in full in Jesus Christ. Remember, in the letter of Hebrews, specifically in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, we're told that the ancient people of God really were looking forward to a country even better than the promised land of Canaan. The promised land of heaven, they were looking for that. And this is the blessing that lies before us as believers. And it is the blessing in Jesus Christ that we hold out to others. How could the people of Israel be sure that they would receive these blessings? How can, how can we, how can you and I be certain that we will receive these blessings that are prefigured in Jesus? Well, we can be sure because there is no God like our God. He makes promises. No other God does that. He keeps promises. No other God does that either. Let's turn then and consider our third and final point, the promise of blessing. And and follow along as I read Deuteronomy 33, verses 26 to 29. There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help. 
through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens drop down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. You'll recall that these four verses form, form an echo or, or a bookend to the first five of the chapter. In verse 26, we return to God's pet name for his beloved people, Jeshurun. We saw that in verse 5. What we can also see in these verses is that the uniqueness of Yahweh, of God, is set forth. He rides through the heavens. He rides upon the clouds. This is a, a poetic way of expressing his sovereignty over all creation. He makes his sovereign power and might known as he comes to the aid of his people. What is more, we learn here, he is eternal. He has no beginning or end. And God's eternality is what theologians call uh, an incommunicable attribute of God. It's an attribute that we do not and cannot share with God. We have a beginning, but God does not. He has existed for all eternity past. It is an attribute that plainly reveals that he is God and we are not. Still, even here, the promise to God's people is that he will be their dwelling for all eternity. He will be our God and we will be his people for all eternity. There is even the, the, the parallel image. This is a parallelism occurring here. It's a tender image of God holding his people in his everlasting arms. God, like a, a loving father, he, is, he scooped his children up. He's taken them in his strong arms and he is bringing them, carrying them tenderly to eternal blessing. This is the promise that we have as the new covenant people of God. He who began a good work in us will carry us, carry that work. He'll bring it to completion. We see that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And while the first half of verse 27 speaks of God defending his children, the, the second half speaks of God destroying their enemies. And don't you love it that it's just one little word that fells them? God says, destroy. And so Israel lives in safety. This is what would happen in Israel's conquest of Canaan. Just go and read the amazing book of Joshua this, this afternoon and you'll see it. God would go before his people and fight for them. How else, how else will wilderness nomads conquer cities fortified up to the heavens? Well, the God of heaven comes down and walls come tumbling down. This is how ordinary shepherds, this is who the people of Israel are. This is how ordinary shepherds defeat giants like the Anakim. Israel fights, but really, God fights in their fighting. He destroys their enemies. And at the end of it all, the people of Israel will, will live in safety. They'll enjoy the bounty of the land. At the end of it all, they will be happy and blessed. This is the promised blessing that Moses is speaking of 
in Genesis 30, and sorry, in Deuteronomy 33. And this was Joshua's testimony. At the end of his life, after the conquest, in Joshua chapter 21, verse 45, Joshua says this to the people of Israel. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. See, Israel would enjoy these promised blessings because of the uniqueness of God, because of the sovereignty of God, because of the power of God. Israel has a God like no other. And Israel is loved like no other. See, Israel needs to recognize that they have a unique God, but they must also recognize that they are uniquely loved. Look at verse 29 again. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Israel was saved from slavery by Yahweh. God defended Israel from, from her Egyptian enemies and destroyed her enemies in Canaan. No other people were so dearly loved by the Lord. And verse 29 says something else too. It ends with this statement. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. See, God's people here are presented as, as triumphant over their enemies. They're conquerors over them. The people of God are here poetically depicted as treading upon the backs of their foes. Well, what are we to make of this? This certainly should call us to ask whether we are God's people or are we God's enemies. There are only two groups of people in the Bible, the righteous and the wicked. There are only two groups of people in the Bible, God's children or God's enemies. Who are you? Are, are you a child of God who has been promised eternal victory? Or are you an enemy of God who is here promised eternal defeat? You see, as the, as the true history of God's people rolls on, this image of the defeat of God's enemies comes to be announced in Psalm 110. There, God's chosen king is declared to have made God's enemies his footstool. See, the, the promise of Deuteronomy 33, 29 is summed up, it's comprehended in God's messianic king. As the representative of God's people, when he conquers over their enemies, the whole people conquer their enemies. In his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ, he picks up that psalm. Jesus picks up Psalm 110, and he declares that it's about him. He is the one who the writer of Hebrews tells us destroyed the power of the devil, that great enemy of God's people. Jesus is the one who has come to help the offspring of Abraham, those who have faith in him as their Savior and Lord. And the church of Jesus Christ has been promised in the words of Romans chapter 16, verse 20, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. See, the, the promised blessings of Deuteronomy 33 find their ultimate realization in Jesus Christ. And Jesus told us as much in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. We read this 
earlier in the service, but I want you to, to turn back there in your Bibles once more. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verse 44. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, I think it's on page 884. 884. In, in, in this verse, in Luke chapter 24, verse 40, 44, Jesus tells us that the whole Old Testament was anticipating his wonderful work. He explicitly mentions the law of Moses, which includes Deuteronomy. So read Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he, that's Jesus, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, saying, look, I I told you this already. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Friends, the passage of Scripture that we've been studying together, Deuteronomy 33, is, is finally about Jesus. Jesus even mirrors the last actions of Moses. Before Moses goes up and brings his earthly ministry to a close, he, he blesses the people of God. T- take a look at the end of Luke's gospel. L- look at verses 50 and 51. What, what does Jesus do before he goes up? And brings his earthly ministry to a close. He blesses the people of God. That's no coincidence. Moses promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15. That God would raise up a prophet like him. And that this prophet like Moses must be listened to. And what did God the Father say? About Jesus. What did he say to to Peter during the transfiguration? In Luke chapter 9, verse 35, the father said this This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Moses was a faithful servant among God's people, a faithful prophet, and therefore he was authorized to speak God's blessing over God's people. But Jesus, he was a faithful servant faithful son over God's people. And therefore, his authority to bless is even greater than Moses' authority to bless. Moses' blessings were temporal, and Jesus' blessing is eternal. The the blessings of Deuteronomy 33 speak about the blessings of the people of God in a historical situation in the ancient Near East, but those promises also at the same time prophetically look forward They point forward to the time when because of the work of Jesus, all of God's people from every age will reign with him in the blessing of the new heavens and the new earth. And so let's ask the question again. Who are you? Are you you a child of God who has been promised eternal victory? Or are you an enemy of God who has promised eternal defeat? Friends, we have all been made in God's image. We've been given life and breath by God. We've been made to enjoy him, to be happy in him forever. But, but just like our first parents, just like the first people who walked this earth, just like Adam and Eve, we have all sinned and rebelled against God. Adam and Eve spurned the life of blessing in the garden. They decided to live their own way rather than God's way. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And sin makes us enemies of God. None of us deserve God's eternal blessing and favor. We all deserve his eternal curse. But the good news of the Bible, 
is that in love, God took on flesh. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was truly God and truly man, and he lived a life of perfect obedience before God the Father. He lived a life that we should have lived but haven't. He did something else, too. He went to the cross to bear the punishment for the sins of all of those who would ever turn from their sins, confess their sins, turning from them, and trusting him in faith. And three days after his death, God the Father raised Jesus up from the dead, vindicating him and proving to us all that his life and death on behalf of repenting sinners was acceptable in God's sight. And now, now, Jesus invites us all to come to him in faith and receive the blessing of eternal life with him, of dwelling in God the Father's house forever. Friend, this invitation to eternal blessing is for you. So turn from your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and as we conclude, we should consider that the three promises of blessing in verse 29 of Deuteronomy chapter 33 are ours in Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 29, we're told that Israel was saved from slavery. And we have been saved by Jesus from slavery to sin and death. Israel was shielded, protected, and kept by God in the wilderness. We too are shielded, protected, and kept by God as we wander in the wilderness of this world. Israel was victorious in the conquest of the promised land. And we too will one day enjoy the complete victory of Christ in the promised land of heaven. That's what Revelation 21 tells us. If God faithfully distributed the blessings of Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 29, to the people of Israel as he promised, and he did, then he will faithfully distribute the blessings of every promise in Christ that he has made to us too. Just, just as the children of Israel could go forward knowing that God loved them and would be with them and give them everything he promised, then we too, we too may go forward in this world knowing that we are loved and led by our God. And he will give us every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Let's thank him for that. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have given your people the gift of your spirit. And so you, you walk with us. You walk with us in this world that is so often hard. Where we so often feel weak. Father, remind us that we made it through yesterday because you gave us that strength. We thank you for that. And remind us that you will walk with us today. And, and tomorrow when we wake up and the world feels heavy upon us, remind us that you will walk with us too tomorrow. And we give you thanks that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We give you thanks that your pronouncement of blessing in and through Jesus Christ is ours. And we give you thanks that our promise of blessing is sure, not because of who we are, because we are fickle, but you are God. You are faithful. We give you thanks for all that we have in your son. 
And it is in his mighty name that we pray. Amen.